What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 59. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Feel pretty good. Hot off the heels of a nice victory with our green-white deck that we drafted in two weeks ago's episode. I've got a leftover Baja Blast from Taco Bell. I'm ready to record. Let's do it. This week, we're talking about AFR as a set. We're talking about flavor. We're back to Flavortown. And of course, this time it's Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, of course, check out the Discord if you haven't already. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. It's completely free for anybody. Just check that out. It's a great place to be to get any sort of conversation with us going outside of the show and actually be able to uh, engage with us as well as the rest of our community. Speaking of engaging with us, if you're interested in supporting the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. This is the only sponsor of the show at the moment. So thank you all to those who are current patrons and continue to recur as patrons. We still can't believe that we have people who are even there in the first place. When we opened that at the beginning, it was like, yeah, this will just be a thing that sits here. Nobody will use. But we do have patrons there and we thank you all very, very much for your support. Yeah, you're the best. Like everybody else is pretty good, too. But the patrons specifically like, wow, incredible. Very true. The Patreon includes perks such as stickers from the show, show notes, unedited recording of the show like post and pre kind of banter from ben and i as well as our specific draft chaff cards which we will be getting to the draft chaff hero for afr in just a week or two the draft chaff cards signed by the both of us and a handful of other things we're also going to be rolling out a patron only discord channel for draft help or deck tech type help that'll be something to look out for as well all right on to our crack and draft type thing this is sort of a pick one, pack one, or otherwise, but uh, a lot of times we don't throw pick one, pack ones in here, so we call it crack draft type thing. What do we have this week, Ben? This week we actually do have a pack one, pick one. I just wanted to grab a random one from the format, kind of see what we could you know, make of it. First up, we've got Yuan-Ti Fangblade. That's the two and a black for a 2-2 snake robe with death touch and blah, 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 venture when it, it it's, you know, you're happy to play them in your black deck. Yeah, I've never been disappointed with it. Not exactly a first pick that I am happy about, but... It's a fine playable, happy to have in my black decks. Yeah, it, it always trades for a card, and uh, I mean, it, it might get you a little bit of extra value on the way. Next up is Devoted Paladin. That's four and a white for the 4-4. Four, four. It's the Orc Knight that pumps the team. Eh, sure, sometimes decks want this, but you're not really making a million tokens unless you're turboing through dungeons and making a bunch of goblins. I've seen some decks where uh, if you can make a bunch of goblin tokens uh, through other ways, maybe some of the, the goblin cards specifically, then this can do a little work, but that's a very, very narrow deck. You really only ever want that and if you've already had a bunch of stuff. Otherwise, it's just whatever. Next up is Hired Hexblade. That's the guy that ETBs and draws you a card if you spent treasure to cast it. Uh, I like it in the red-black deck. Treasures is uh, quite the, the stuff, and it's really nice when you top deck your two-drop in the late game and it cycles itself. Oh, man. Amazing. Next up, Dueling Rapier. That's the one red equipment that gives plus two plus O, oh, and it snaps onto a creature or whatever we're going to call it. I really like putting this on a Hawk uh, or on a 3-1 that gets plus uh, zero plus two when it's equipped. Or honestly, anything. I really like this card. <laughs> it is Flash, too, which I always forget about. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people play it that way, like forgetting that it had Flash. I think you've probably seen me play it that way. I mean, I don't even, I don't even need to, though. You, you just put it on the Hawk and swing in for three, and it doesn't matter when you played it. They're taking three. Uh, next up is Eyes of the Beholder. That's the kill spell that costs six, gives a thing minus 11, minus 11. Have not been super impressed with this. Uh, I'll maybe play a copy if my opponent is playing a bunch of dragons and that's in best of three. 
So Yeah, I've not been happy with this card overall. A lot of the best threats in the format, things that you have to deal with are, I don't know, like three drops or four drops, and then you're trading down on mana. Come on, that's overkill. 11, 11. Like, yeah, it's okay. just like you could just have like Grim Bounty, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's just, yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know. Grim Bounty is just so much better than this card. It does do a pretty good job of dealing with dragons. I will say that. Next up is Direwolf Prowler. That's the three mana 2-2. Two, two, and you can pay two to pump it, 2-2, two, two, and it gives it haste until end of turn. Another card that you're never too sad to see. It's fine in your opening hand as a three drop that can pump itself on attacks. Uh, it'll probably get in for a, a good amount. And uh, I like that it works in even, so it's it's pretty good pack tactics. Can't trigger it by itself, but this and any other creature with pack tactics should be all you need. And then in the late game, it can even come in as a five mana 4-4 four, four haste, which is pretty good for a three drop. What are you on so far? I'm probably on the Fang Blade. Agreed. Next up, Bar the Gate. That's two and a blue for an instant counter target creature or planeswalker spell. Venture into the dungeon. I haven't cast this. I've seen it cast like once. I'm not I, interested. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to not be drafting blue very often in this format. And when I do, it's it's fine. Like, it's better than cancel in most situations. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's uh, passable for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think that's... I don't think it's great. Um, next is your ambush on the road. That's one white. You have two choices. You can make a retreat, return, target creature you control to its owner's hand, or stand and fight. Target creature gets plus one, plus three. Now, the data is out, according to our friend Circovitz at 17 lands. This is one of the better cards, incidentally, against Black Red. When they go to try to steal your thing, bounce your own creature back to your hand. And mm -hmm. uh, you lose a little bit of tempo, but hey, it, it stopped them from getting a huge advantage off of their little steel sack combo. Not something you want first pick, but it's fine. Next up is Charm Sleep. That's one blue-blue for an aura. It's a removal spell. Taps the thing down, doesn't untap during its untapped step. Man, I hate starting off with a blue card, though, but this is probably the best card in the pack so far, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Charm Sleep is like, it's like blue's removal. It's like the only real removal spell blue has right now in this format, mm. and it's fine, but there are actually just plenty of ways to get... You have to be really careful about this card because there are plenty of ways to get creatures that are tapped down to actually still be useful in this format yeah so it's not my favorite and the fact that it's in blue makes me still kind of one of not take it but it is probably the best card in the pack so far our last comment here is you come to the knoll camp your choices are intimidate them make two creatures not block this turn and fend them off give a creature plus three plus one it's whatever sometimes you'll put it in a red deck i think in other formats this could be really strong the ability to kind of temporarily knock out two of their you know, maybe blockers that they had thought about leaving back would make this good in a lot of scenarios if your opponent is defensive and you're trying to just lock down their two beefy blockers or if you're racing and they left like only two things back to try to throw the game i haven't loved it in this format though i usually find cutting it in favor of like the, the best red deck is red white i think oh sorry red black is also really good the best red non-treasure steel sack nonsense deck red white aggro uh, you tend to want to play equipment more. And then with red black, this also just isn't really what you're interested in. So you're spending all these kind of spell slots on uh, active trees and effects um, and or like sack effects. So I'm not super interested in this card. Uh, good news, though, our uncommons are much better. We've got a battle cry goblin. That's one in the red for a 2-2 goblin that you can pump to give your goblins plus one plus zero. Oh, and pack tactics, you make a 1-1 one, one that's tapped and attacking. I love this card. It's awesome. I'm slamming it here over every single one of these commons. Yeah, easily. Hands down. Next up is Ingenious Smith. That's one on the white for a 1-1 one, one human artificer. Uh, at ETBs, you look at the top four, you can get an artifact, and then the blast go at the bottom. When an artifact enters the battlefield, put a 1-1 one, one counter on it, and that triggers only once a turn in case you're putting a million artifacts into play. Well, with the treasures in this set, you actually might have been able to do that, but... 
It would have been kind of funny wombo combo with old gnawbone. That, that would have been kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, there you go. I, I've seen this be okay. You I really haven't. need this to hit. <laughs> all, right, it, it, all right, it's not good. It's it's like a D, maybe maybe worse. You really need to have a ton. You, you need like multiple cloister gargoyles and equipment before you actively want this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I I really don't think I think LSV said it best in the limited set re- the 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 common uncommon set review on limited resources. I don't think any deck is actually capable of getting enough artifacts into their deck in this format to make this card playable. And then you're you're like playing bad cards to make your bad cards good, and it's like not what you want to be doing. I could see a scenario where if you had a teleportation circle and like a bomb artifact and you really wanted to try to find it in the late game. Eh, I guess, but it's still just like, it? it's just one in four. Uh, your flicker the smith, you mean? Yeah, I guess. Uh, it's yeah. so loose. There are just way better things to be flickering. <laughs> like maybe you have a dancing sword or like a vorpal sword or something and, and a teleportation circle. Then I might put one of these in because, I mean, you want to find it in late game. It'll eventually draw you a card. Wouldn't you just maybe, rather maybe, that yeah. be a priest, though? Like, you just flicker the priest. Moving on. <laughs> We've got Hama Fashar, Ruin Seeker. Uh, it, it costs one blue white. It's a 2-3, and it doesn't really have any important text on it. We can skip it. This card sucks. <laughs> your, your dungeon abilities trigger an additional time. I think this card would be so much better if it made you like do two dungeon rooms at once. Like, that would be that, that would fix this, I think. Or like, double this venture card, instead of trigger your venture triggers twice? Yeah, like, if you would venture, you venture an additional time uh, rather yeah. than room abilities triggering additional time because this just doesn't... I, I just have hated blue-white. Like, I, I don't find it very fun or good to play. It never feels like you're on the winning side. Your cards just don't feel like they don't match up very well against your opponent. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really found a way to make that deck work very well yet also she doesn't do anything like yeah. by herself if you don't happen to have the venture cards in hand that you need this is a three mana two three yeah and that's it's pretty great. awful it's kind of abysmal well uh I, I have news for you our rare isn't doing too much more it's circle of dreams druid green 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 elf druid it has tap add green for each creature you control it's a two one yeah i mean mm. I like a Gaia's Cradle as much as the next person, but, you know, Gaia's Cradle can't be hit by, like, removal or <laughs> anything, really. So, yeah, this isn't amazing. And in this in this format, especially with triple green, it's just not really easy to put in a deck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Battlecry Goblin oh. all the way. Let's do this. Oh, yeah, definitely. With all this great fixing in the set, you mean. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, I could see Circle of Dreams Druid. If you're playing, like, a 10 forest deck already you you have a bunch of owl bears and uh that's like your main game plan like big green stuff and then maybe you're playing black for some removal or something yeah but like then, maybe but then this this taps for what like realistically this is going to tap for maybe maybe three maybe four mana and your top end is what green dragon like what are you what are you doing with this <laughs> well no no you, you you tap it for like four and you play layer owl bear <laughs> you play an Alvare, and then you have extra mana to cast the thing you draw off Alvare. I don't know. We're not taking this. We're slamming the goblin. I, I think you can play it. I don't think Circle of Dreams Druid is totally stone cold unplayable. Sure. But, uh, I think you would take it seventh pick, pack three, after you're already <laughs> deep in green. Yeah, there you go. All right. Our next segment here is our Teferi Tibble. This is something similar to a Roses and Thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, kick us off. 
Right. Uh, first of all, I would like to mourn the loss of ZNR Quick Draft. And again, uh, for the astute among you, you can figure out exactly when we <laughs> recorded this. It's going to throw you off. Uh, we're doing some wacky recording nonsense, so uh, have fun figuring that one out. If you figured out, post in the random channel of the Discord, and I'll send you an arena code or something. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, RIP ZNR Quick Draft. I'll miss you. Uh, but I'm moving, uh, so that is uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, I'm actually going to let's lump all this together into into the Tybalt section. A loss of ZNR Quick Draft is definitely a Tybalt. Moving is a bit of a Tybalt because I mean I have to spend my entire weekend packing and disassembling things. And the problem is, once everything is packed and disassembled, what am I supposed to do? You know, I have to like take down all my books and shelves and pack up all my magic stuff and my PC. And well, then what am I supposed to do with my time? You know, that's half of what I do. So I guess I'll have to like go hang out with friends and <laughs> just socialize and read a book or something. But book? Well, I, I'm not. I'm unfamiliar with this. One. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll meet up. I'll show you. I'll show you what I mean. <laughs> okay. Uh, but my my teferi is also that I'm moving and I'm moving to a, a much better apartment. I'm pretty excited for that. Also, uh, teferi, the Dune trailer is out and I am super excited. Uh, I do actually read books on occasion, and Dune is my favorite book that I've read in the last, like, three years. I absolutely loved it. It's fantastic world building. It's, for those that don't know it, Lord of the Rings level world building, but it's in space. And it is so good. The trailer looks awesome. It has probably the hottest cast of any movie ever made. Uh, I, I don't think anyone could argue that point. I am, like, finding myself every day, like, a new person that I, I remember, like, talking to about Dune reaches out, like, oh my god, you see the trailer? And it's just been a, a fun air of excitement for that. The, I, you, you laughed a bit when I said that. Are, are you a fan, too? I haven't read it but i didn't know the trailer dropped that's why i was like surprised because i do want to i do want to get into that it's on my list of books to read oh you'll love it uh actually i will say the the movie is directed by denis villeneuve who did arrival uh who did blade runner 2049 and oh shoot there was one other good one i've been a huge fan of everything he's done so far Th those movies are fantastic but he's proven that he can you know make some really beautiful stuff and also uh some sci-fi era stuff so i'm super excited for this this movie yeah sweet hopefully it uh stands up to the books and such for me this week um again kind of with the wonkiness of recording i have a germany trip at the time of this record uh, at the time of this release i'm back in the states but at the time <laughs> of recording i haven't left yet Ooh. so i don't have a whole lot to say about that just yet um Tell us how it went. Oh, it was great. Uh, absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Easy Bring trip. Me a souvenir. It did. Yeah, it brought you lots of chocolate. And, uh, oh, sick. But yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Very excited. Hopefully, I, I'm i like in the Discord right now telling everybody how amazing it was. But um, my tibble this week is that I've been getting a lot of headaches lately. Like, headaches isn't even really the right word, but there's this like sort of thing that happens to the front of my head, like kind of behind my eyes near the temples that it's like almost a throbbing, which happens every so often after I've spent too much time like in front of a computer. And I mean, I work at a computer for my like actual job and then I do a lot of mm -hmm. stuff at a computer outside of my actual job. So that doesn't actually happen that often. Like my eyes are pretty well adjusted to working on like working with screens on a regular basis, but every so often it does and it's really annoying and it, it's been a problem lately. So hopefully that goes away soon and I'm sure the trip is going to help because you know, I won't have a computer in front of me all the time. True. Uh, First of all, sorry to hear you're experiencing that. Second, have you considered a lobotomy? I hear that the whole bloodletting kind of just maybe get some of the uh, the aether out of there or whatever they, they would call it. Um, maybe that'll help. I don't know. 
It might. I have now, and I'm not an expert, but I have a feeling it's going to cause a lot more problems, <laughs> but it might fix that one. So you know what? Maybe it's worth exploring. Anyway, let's check out our listener question of the week. Again, ask away uh, if you've got any random questions or, or anything that uh, that's on your mind. Dorgan asks, if you could put any existing card into historic, what would it be? By the way, congrats, Dorgan. If you want to know what I'm congratulating him on, uh, go check the Discord. So, Zach, uh, any card into historic, what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. I am not positive. I think my initial gut reaction would have been to say Sphinx's Revelation. It's mm. already there. But, <laughs> yeah, they got uh, you on that one. Um, I don't actually know what my answer to this would be. I kind of like... Maybe it's Sphinx's tutelage. I would really like to see like more like a mono blue mill deck like actually be competitive in and not that Sphinx's tutelage is necessarily going to do that, but more of those like tutelage effects might help that deck. Um, otherwise, I don't think I play enough historic to really know what the format needs. I basically just play like mono blue tempo, which is not really a deck that like does very well anymore. Um, so I feel like you're better to answer this question than I am. But yeah, I don't know something something that helps out control decks, I guess, or tempo decks depending on what is needed in the format but i don't know what that is <laughs> well uh, with brainstorm getting the suspension axe i would like to see green decks make a revival i think green really needs the help but to be honest i don't know what to put in like land of War elves is in scoos is in i'm oracle of Moldoli is in like I, I i don't know what it's missing i don't know how to help green out a little more i think we need some new cards to really get green going I don't know. I don't know what to do. But if I could put any card in the historic, it'd be Stoneforge Mystic. I think that'd be sweet. Hmm. Getting to play with a, a different set of uh, stuff. Like usually in, in any other format, you would just get a batter skull or uh, now a cauldra complete or something else, whatever, like a sort of fire nice. But without those busted equipment, I don't know if Stoneforge is that busted. Like there's some flicker stuff. Maybe you could make like a big Yorian pile with a bunch of cool equipment. I guess the best thing in the format is uh, Skyclaves. I, I don't know. Ooh, I lied. I just remembered what card I want to see in historic. Yeah. Jeskai Ascendancy. Uh. All right, if you get Jeskai Ascendancy, I get Siege Rhino. Deal? Sure, I'm fine with that deal, because Ascendancy beats Siege Rhino any day of the week. Yeah, Siege Rhino definitely isn't playable. <laughs> Historic, as sad as that is. I, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is. Rhino is a very good card, but is it good enough right now? Not right now. This stuff's happening too fast. As of recording, maybe in the two weeks since the meta has shifted. I don't know, go check Historic. I don't know what's happening. It, we're speaking from the past. Uh, I, I, I'll go play a game of Historic on the release date of this episode, and I'll see what's changed. Hopefully less blue, and that's all I'm on. Sure, yeah, less blue. <laughs> All right, let's get into the main topic for today. We've got Flavortown Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So for those that are new to Flavortown, welcome. This is your destination for all things fun in form and function. So AFR has some of the, uh, I guess, most expected flavor, if, if that makes any sense. So everybody has been talking and hyping up the set ever since we knew it was going to be released. We've been thinking like, oh, well, there's got to be dice rolling and there's got to be beholders and there's got to be dragons. We all kind of knew that. But they surprised us in some cool ways. Uh, they uh, disappointed us and others. Uh, <laughs> but I think overall that they really nailed this one. However, I'm going to shut up about it because I have never actually been part of an active D 
D&D campaign. As sad as that is, I have tried here and there. It's never really worked out with my timing and my schedule, uh, but I am going to let you cover uh, a good chunk of this. And I'm going to be asking you some questions and, and picking your brain about D&D a little more because uh, while a lot of people have covered this uh, in their own kind of reviews and things, we wanted to touch on a few cards that we really just liked because of how they brought the flavor of D&D into magic. So what is D&D? Yeah, so I mean, that's a good place to start, right? D&D is short for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, most people have heard of Dungeons and Dragons, especially lately with the rise of streamers playing it reg- pretty regularly, things like Critical Role and Dimension 20. And there are a whole bunch of different groups that are playing it online for fun on stream and having a great time with it. And it's really brought back like this understanding that like you can play role playing games and not be like one of those like complete like troll nerds that nobody <laughs> like when I say troll, I mean like sits in the dark and doesn't doesn't like interact with society like that was what people used to think of with with D&D, but it's not really what it is. So, oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed a lot. Yeah, it's it's really well, the perception of it's changed more than the games changed, but it's mm. uh, it's really cool to see. And um, essentially, it's a role playing game where you create a kit. Well, you can there are two kinds of groups of people. There are dungeon masters or game masters or the people who run the game and there are players. Uh, the dungeon master will create a world or use a pre-existing world in the case of Wizards of the Coast, they publish a a campaign setting called Forgotten Realms, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, But there are plenty of other campaign settings that you can play in, and you can even make your own and just start completely from scratch. So that's, that's an option as well. And then on the player side, you create a character and you are in a group with other characters, other players who created characters, and you are an adventuring party and you go through the story that the DM sets in front of you, though most of the actual action and onus and decision-making is on the part of the characters. So the, the DM will create a sort of story. They'll have a backbone of what they are thinking the story might might do and where plot points might show up. They'll have MacGuffins and things like that splintered throughout the world but ultimately it's up to the players and their characters to make the story what it is and that's kind of part of the fun of the game is that you're kind of shaping this whole story on your own and having some really fun times in the in the process so uh, that's kind of a quick very very quick intro to DD now forgotten realms in particular is like i said a campaign setting created by wizards of the coast it's kind of the quote-unquote official DD setting and it is a fantasy world setting described as a world of strange lands dangerous creatures, and mighty deities where magic and supernatural phenomena are quite real. And I'm reading this from the Forgotten Realms wiki page. The premise is that long ago, planet Earth and the world of the Forgotten Realms were more closely connected, but as time passed, the inhabitants of Earth had mostly forgotten about the existence of that other world, hence the name Forgotten Realms. And Forgotten Realms uh, is home to a continent known as Faerun. Faerun has a bunch of different uh, geographical settings in it, Places like Neverwinter, Baldur's Gate, you might be familiar with from the old game, Baldur's Gate, and even the new, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is the latest one that came out recently. And um, so there, there are a whole bunch of different settings in, in within Faerun that you can run your players through or play through as a player. Uh, Sword Coast is, I think, one of the more popular ones as well. So yeah, basically a big campaign setting. We don't get story. Normally in Flavortown episodes, we go through the story of... Uh, of what Watsi has released as like the incremental story for this set. There are, I think, 292 actual novels associated with the Forgotten Realms. So there's a lot of content there and I haven't read any of them. So I'm not going to try to pretend that I know a lot about the lore of, of the Forgotten Realms specifically. But we'll go through, we're going to go through uh, five cards that we each found awesome from a flavor perspective. 
why we think those like why we think those were the best hits for the set, so to speak, and uh, a little bit back and forth. And it sounds like Ben's going to have some questions for me. So let's get into it. Before we do, you gave me a great idea for like an offshoot, uh, a spinoff podcast, uh, dramatic readings of all, what do you say, 300 ish of those books? Yeah, that'd be something. Maybe we can cool. get that going <laughs> with all our free time that we have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why don't you start us off with uh, with your first card? What are you looking into here? Sure. So my first card here is the Grandmaster of Flowers himself. It's uh, the two white, white Planeswalker, three loyalty. It's a Bahamut Planeswalker, which uh, is notable. That was not a mistake. That's done on purpose. Um, and essentially, the Grandmaster of Flowers becomes a dragon if he gets enough loyalty, and he can only tick up, so you know you don't have any minus abilities that are taking away from that effect. Now, this card in particular really hit home for me because Bahamut is a god in the D and D camp in the D and D setting, and especially in Forgotten Realms. A lot of other uh, campaign settings kind of take uh, Watsi's pantheon, as it's called, like all the gods and deities and things. They'll take them and, and adapt them to their worlds. So Bahamut is seen across a whole slew of different worlds. But in particular, uh, in the Forgotten Realms sort of lore, Bahamut is the, also known as the Platinum Dragon, said to be the only Platinum Dragon in existence, and is a god of dragons. He's a god of good and like actively hates evil, doesn't think there's any excuse for evil acts, anything of that nature, and is basically devoted his entire very, very long life to destroying evil outright um Good for him yeah he also likes i mean it's sometimes to the detriment right there's there is a yin and yang sort of thing that goes with good and bad but um you know uh but that's that's neither here nor there but bahamut's awesome he's a big good dragon he is the mortal arch enemy of tiamat who is also featured in this set uh tiamat is basically his sister and in D D, there are two types of dragons you have metallic dragons such as the gold dragons uh copper dragons, silver dragons, things of that nature, and of course the platinum dragon himself. And then there are also chromatic dragons, those red, black, blue, you know, things of that nature. Typically, uh, chromatic dragons are evil. They come from Tiamat. Tiamat is sort of their uh, progenitor, so to speak, and they are almost entirely across the board evil with maybe the exception of like a particular individual dragon that your DM decides is good for reasons. Chromatic dragons, on the other hand, are all offspring of Bahamut, and they are all base good. Some might be chaotic good and all that, and there is an alignment system within D&D to kind of cover what what your character's sort of goodness levels are, um, and whether you're more inclined to a lawful idea of good or a chaotic idea of good or neutral or whatever. Um, So Bahamut's on the good side of things, but Bahamut in the lore tends to take on and some dragons have the ability to shapeshift a lot of the chromatics have the ability to to become humans basically or take other forms and bahamut often spends time in a number of other forms but he's always accompanied by seven somethings they're typically animals but one of the forms that's most popular for players or for dms to use bahamut as is basically a vagabond like a, an elderly sort of homeless person who is surrounded by seven canaries and it always has seven canaries with him. And so in the art for the Grandmaster Flowers, we see, and, and typically that vagabond is wearing like monk's clothes or like tattered clothing or whatever. So in this case, we see the Grandmaster Flowers is kind of younger. He seems like he's a maybe an older teenager, maybe, or, or like a young adult, but he does have the seven canaries, which is awesome. I think that's great. Certainly not wearing tattered clothing. He looks, looks pretty mm. awesome. 
but I I think flavorfully they did a great job with him here. He's, you know, helping other people, stopping from attacking, you know, not letting you like get your thing in. Um, And he becomes a massive dragon, which is really hard to destroy, which is basically what Bahamut is. And so I like it. He starts as a human. He does his thing. He can do the shape shifting thing. It's, It's pretty cool. A plus I've had the pleasure of I've had the pleasure of playing with this card a few times and it's always awesome. When you have a monk, it's even better. But even without the monk, it's still pretty great. So first up for me, I've got the hand of Vecna. All right. Real quick, who's Vecna? <laughs> yeah, so Vecna is a lesser deity. Well, was a lesser deity. Um, and essentially Vecna is like an individual who saw an opportunity and kind of ran with it. Basically was an individual who wanted to become a god and so mm-hmm. set out with whatever course of action one takes when they want to become a god in order to Hmm. become said god and it worked like he actually became a god rose into the pantheon as Hmm. as a deity basically i I don't really judge people for for the decisions (laughs) about that so whatever you want to go be the god of i don't know soft serve ice cream i don't care but vecna good good for vecna for completing their task i have yet to see anybody complete vecna uh, on arena but I, i'm honestly i'd love to try it in a draft someday so we've got the hand of vecna we've got the eye of vecna and then we've got the book of vile darkness and then all those th- three things combine and uh you eventually wind up with this big beefy vecna god that's drawing you cards and it's big and you're doing all sorts of cool stuff with it so uh, i thought that was a pretty cool flavor inclusion plus magic players love a challenge and we love trying to you know, assemble the combo. And this is the first one of these types of get all the things out at the same time that we've seen in a while. And I love this type of thing. It's just funny enough to work. And when it works, the payoff is actually there. So I thought this is a cool inclusion. Yeah, my second card here is Gelatinous Cube. And you'll see I actually I picked a card from each color just to kind of hit the whole spectrum there. But Gelatinous Cube is just excellent. It is a creature that comes down. It it exiles another creature, which, I mean, that's what gelatinous cubes do in D&D. They, like, swallow things or, or run them over, basically, absorb them, however mm. you want to phrase it. And then they slowly dissolve them, kind of like Venus flytraps, where they, like, mm. catch the thing and then they slowly dissolve it in acid and such. And so it's, like, a perfect story on one card with, with gelatinous cube here, where it engulfs the creature, it take you know takes it in, absorbs it, and then you have the ability to dissolve it. And from a mechanical perspective, it works really well because you have that opportunity to prevent your opponent from getting their creature back when the, when the cube dies. I think it's great. Very well done. There is one minor flavor fail on this card. We have to dock some points for in the art. It depicts like three figures. It looks like in the cube. And unless you're doing some flickering, actually, I'm not sure if you could ever have three creatures under at once, unless you hit a mutated pile of three creatures, in which case I think they'd fall apart under there. Mutate scares me, (laughs) but uh, I, I got a dock at a point for that, but yeah, still an all-around awesome card. Having never played D&D, I'd still know what a gelatinous cube did, and I saw this card and was like, yep, that that's awesome. That does the thing. Next up for me is Wish. That's the card that says you may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. It's short, it's sweet, it's simple, and I hear it's a pretty powerful spell in D&D. I, I think the D&D version of Wish is much better than this. Let me know if I'm correct. So in D&D, you just wish... It's, it, you just make a wish, and that's it, right? And it's one of those, you got to be careful with the consequences things. If, if I wish for a million dollars, a genie could, like, put it on top of my head and I'd get crushed by it or something. So you have to be very specific and say, I wish for a million dollars in my bank account, which I don't know how that could go super wrong unless it's some, I don't know, thieving 
credit card grifters involved. I, I don't know, but is is my understanding of wish correct? Yeah, basically in D anD D with spells, you have you have like so you have your character level, and then spell casters have caster levels as well. So you know, a level ten wizard might be able to cast like level five spells, and I might have that wrong. I'm not usually a spellcaster, so I'm not not sure about that, but. There's a little bit of a, a an out of syncness with the two of those, but wish is a ninth level spell, which is like the highest level spells you can cast. And yeah, that's essentially correct. You just make a wish and hope that you don't get screwed over by the way you worded said wish. But it is a very powerful spell, and it often requires like extreme expenses, like 10k gold or years of your life as part of the like casting cost, so to speak, of the spell. Mm-hmm. So. It's not really an easy one to cast, even for those who can cast it. So, yeah, a little disappointed with it myself as far as its MTG adaptation goes because this card is not very great, but sure, it's fine, I guess. (laughs) My third card here is Magic Missile, and this is another one. I mean, Ben mentioned the Gelatinous Q being something he recognized without really playing D&D. Magic Missile is another one of those. Everybody's heard of Magic Missile. Every game that involves spellcasting in some way, shape, or form has used the phrasing Magic Missile for something. Mm -hmm. So this was a big one. And in D&D, Magic Missile is a spell that you can cast that allows you to, basically depending on the spell level you cast the spell at, you get so many shots of the spell and they auto hit so you don't have to roll to hit. They just they just deal damage. Can't be countered. Right. So this version of Magic Missile is essentially a third level Magic Missile, however you want to phrase that, because it costs three mana to cast. Can't be countered, so they're going to hit. And it deals three damage divided as you choose among one, two, or three targets. And so you get the three different charges. You spent the three mana. So in yeah, in the, in the actual game of D&D, you would depending on what level you cast it, that's how many charges you get of it, how many actual missiles you get. But yeah, I think this was fantastic. Very, very well translated and a big fan. Also, a great card in limited. I've oh, yeah. seen this three for one and against like seven to eight mana's worth of creatures. Absolutely play this. Take it very highly. My third card here is you meet in a tavern. That's the one that costs two green green and it gives you a choice. Do you form a party where you look at the cards in your library and grab some creatures or whatever or do you start a brawl give your creatures plus two plus two until end of term i like that this is good at any point in the game if you are low on creatures go get some more if you have plenty of creatures make them all beefy and swing in for for the win so this i i like these kinds of choice cards and i like the phrasing and the way these are worded you meet in a tavern I assume that's a thing that happens pretty often in D&D, right? Is that like the stereotypical, like everybody's character has to get together somehow. So it's like a Luke and Obi-Wan going and finding Han and Chewie in the local bar and beginning the adventure, the call to action moment, so to speak. Yeah, that is that is the trope, right? That is D&D's, if D&D has a trope, which it has plenty of, but if it had one, it was that it is this like characters are wandering into town all of them end up in a bar because, of course, and, you know, something happens that causes them to either meet up in one way, shape, or form while in said tavern, or a fight breaks out and they form a group because they find that they have a, a nicely fitting fight style or something like that. So this, yeah, this card hits flavorfully in that way very, very well. I really like that it gives you the choice, too. This D&D, from what I can tell, is all about agency. It's all about choice, and that's why it's so fun, because it's escapism through getting to do cool things. I don't know about you, the listener, but I don't usually cast Magic Missile on my enemies in real life. So getting the choice whether to do that or not, or in this case, 
gang up with some friends or gang up with some friends against somebody. <laughs> I, I like that it, his... It's, it's the little extra italicized text doesn't mean anything. It was a little confusing when we first saw these cards, but now I can't imagine them without it. This card would mean so much less flavor-wise if it didn't have those little italicized flavor texts. So I really like that they went down that line. May have thrown us all for a loop when we first saw it. They definitely won't continue this in other sets, but it's a nice little bit of flavor that I, I really like. Yeah, I agree. And I, I was kind of low on the wording of these, like as names for magic cards. With the, like, you, some action happens. But I've come up on them. I, I of course, recognized, even from the beginning, how flavorful they are. I just felt weird with the the fact that they were on magic cards. But I've come up on it. I think it's actually not that bad. And from a D&D perspective, that is, like, the thing. That is your interaction with the DM. And the fact that they were able to bring in DM interaction into the cards is phenomenal. So, so Very happy weird. they were able to do that. My... Th- Fourth card? Fourth card is Ranger class. And so this is also kind of just a a comment on the classes in general. All the class cards they added have fit the bill for the most part with the class that they represent in D&D. And of course your characters, as I mentioned, you're creating a character. Your character has some amount of class levels. You know, if you're a level one character, you just have one level of whatever class it is that you are. But you can multi-class and and do all sorts of different cool things with, with class levels. So classes are a big deal. They're very important and they determine what you can or cannot do mechanically within the game. And rangers in D&D are sort of like I mean they're Aragorn, right? You just you just mm-hmm. think about Aragorn, that is that is a ranger in D&D, but you can specialize in a couple of different ways. You might have an animal companion that, you know, hangs around with you and you command as part of your your action economy and you can have them go do a thing for you. So in this case, ranger class makes a wolf and that's very on flavor i think that's perfect and then also in a lot of situations uh, rangers are also spellcasters in DD, so they have some amount of spells that they can use and so like maybe they're buffing their pet because that's you know what they are designed to do in combat and well level two here can buff your pet so yeah really cool and then again it helps you cast your creature spells and stuff so i i think level aspect of this was really cool just from the classes in general but ranger class in particular i think is really really cool and of course it's a fantastic card all of these have been very very flavorful i think ranger class is a front runner for the card you least want to see on turn two. Oh yeah yeah you feel really awful would you rather have your opponent play a three drop or go to level two i, I don't even know <laughs> neither is good for you so in my number four slot i've got demi lich so here's the thing there's a lot of big bads or like big scaries in the set because apparently all these dragons are evil, right? Like Icing Death, Imrith, Ebon Death, Inferno the Star Mounts, and Old Gnawbone. Those are all evil dragons, right? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, alignment-wise, yeah. Interesting. All awesome cards. Uh, I've seen most of them in play against me. Old Gnawbone I have yet to see, actually. Uh, that thing, I guess, doesn't get slammed too often. But... I assume that you could use one of these as the big bad in the campaign or something, or maybe even like a like a slightly lesser big bad. But dragons feel like pretty important ones, and these, especially given that they're legendary mythics, seems to imply that they are pretty scary. And maybe if they exist in the lore before or not, are all these new characters you happen to know? No, they're all pre-existing. Oh, oh, that's sick. So like these are all actual dragons from mm-hmm. within the D and D. Oh, r- really cool. So I was thinking about talking about all these, but you already kind of mentioned dragons. I wanted to chat about Demi-Lich because another visualization that I have when I picture D&D is a group 
fighting an absurd villain whether it's a giant floating eyeball with little eyeball stalks going off of it the beholders or some sort of giant floating skull that that's like quintessential 80s nonsense so uh, i was between demilich and flame skull both kind of doing functionally the same thing here but i settled on demilich because this thing i thought a demilich would I don't know, have a body? I guess that's not necessary. What's up with the eyes? What is happening here? <laughs> I don't know exactly, and I'm not 100% up to speed on the whole lich creation process, but like a lich is essentially somebody who gave up their soul for immortality, I think is how that works. So I assume a demi-lich is someone who's in the process of that, but hasn't quite finished it yet. So they don't have to be disembodied. This one... <laughs> happens to be i suppose at, at first the art was throwing me off it looks like this demi lich is it's almost like guarding a doorway is that what's underneath of it it kind of looks that way yeah so to progress to the next room of the dungeon you got to make it past this thing i don't know something about it just just felt pretty cool flame skull is kind of the same way just a big spooky giant floating monster of some sort it feels very quintessential D&D to me. So I wanted to shout that out. I think they also captured a busted, some sort of spell casting evil entity really well here because is there anything more evil than just seeing your blue player opponent just recasting every single thing from their graveyard that they already tortured you with all game? There's no way I'd want to die less. <laughs> yeah, actually, I pulled up here from the player's handbook the description of what a lich is. So I'll read that real quick just to clear that up. Liches are the remains of great wizards who embrace undeath as a means of preserving themselves. They further their own power at any cost, having no interest in the affairs of the living, except where those affairs interfere with their own. Scheming and insane, they hunger for long-forgotten knowledge and the most terrible secrets. Because the shadow of death doesn't hang over them, they can conceive plans that take years, decades, or centuries to come to fruition. A lich is a gaunt and skeletal humanoid with withered flesh stretched tight across its bones. Its eyes succumbed to decay long ago, but points of light burn in its empty sockets. It is often garbed in the moldering remains of fine clothing and jewelry, worn and dulled by the passage of time. The, the demi comes from the fact that it doesn't quite have the body or the bling, but it's got most of the lich things down. So it seems, so it seems. All right, my last card here is Mind Flayer, and Mind Flayers are amazing. One of my favorite types of creature in D&D, they are more... I suppose uncommonly, but more accurately, called illithids. Uh, it's like a, a whole species of things, and they basically look like squids with bodies. Like like if you were to take a human and put a squid for a head and then have, have the body be the body. They have like these tentacles that are coming out like where their mouths would be, and mm -hmm. uh, they latch onto people's heads and drink their memories and their minds. Yum. I know, right? Big fan of them. Yeah, yeah, I noticed there's another card. I think it's Grazalax, yep. the, the Ithalid Scholar. Yeah, so the flavor text here says, you studied hard, how delicious. Indeed. So I kind of got what was happening there, but hmm, getting your brains drinked out by a squid. Yep. What a way to go. Uh, maybe I would, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of unpleasant ways to die in D&D, so it seems. This is true. This thing has the little ability dominate monster. I'm assuming that's an actual spell. Indeed, yeah. In D&D, in there are spells called dominate person and dominate monster. And the two are... This is actually kind of actually a little bit of a flavor fail because in the image, it seems... And I it could be unclear, but it seems that 
the entity that this illithid is dominating, so to speak, is uh, a humanoid, which would put it under the dominate person spell category, not dominate monster. But in D and D, when everything, or in in MTG, when everything's a creature, I guess monster kind of makes more sense. Yeah, I guess so. Whatever, a minor flavor fail. I guess before we get to my last card, we should mention the dishonorable mention that that everybody has already beaten into the ground. I don't think we have to go too much further on it, but we should mention the Tarrasque, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends who you talk to, because I, I don't know if their opinion has changed at all, but Koga in the Discord was actually pretty happy with the Tarrasque, but I was very upset with it. It was just a little, it's too lax. Like, it, it just didn't feel like the Tarrasque. It's like the most ridiculous entity in magic in in D D, and it's like the the monster of all monsters and it's just a 10 10 that sometimes has like can't be hit and to be fair it is often the biggest and scariest and most powerful thing on the board if you can get it on the board and if they don't have a death toucher but besides that it's it's pretty powerful yeah under dark basilisk says hi no yeah okay Last but not least for me, I've got the deck of many things, which I also had the pleasure of playing with. Go check out the video uh, upload that we did uh, to go see that thing in action. Although I will say, never got to actually uh, get too much action with it because people usually scooped to it once we already had a dominating board presence. So I've kind of gathered through just seeing some of the art and the flavor. It looks like Eliwick, the Planeswalker, has cards and like uses this stuff. So this is a deck within D&D. And it's kind of like it's like a tarot deck where you can just draw cards off of it and they, they have magical abilities. Yeah. So the deck of many things is an item that essentially is a tarot deck. Like it's a, yeah, like you said, it's a deck of tarot cards. They're all magical and there are a wild amount of possible outcomes by drawing one of the cards. And the, basically what happens is you draw a card and whatever that card represents, that effect happens. And it's hmm. actually a legendary artifact within D&D. Like it is a high end magic item that very few parties actually ever get their hands on and it's really risky like there was uh you know there's a campaign that i was watching online that uh someone one of the the players drew a card from the deck of many things and was banished to the void and it's just like all right well now the rest (laughs) of the party has to go track them down and try to figure out how to get them back without them dying and stuff that's funny i guess the uh the flavorful parts of that highs and lows of the deck are pretty well uh, represented in here if you crit, you get to do some pretty cool stuff. You get to reanimate one of your opponent's things, and then they can never kill it, or else they just lose on the spot. Or you can draw cards or return a card from your graveyard to your hand. All of these are the options that I like. If you hit zero, you have to discard your hand, though. So I guess that's to kind of represent, be careful while playing with the deck of many things. But I also wanted to mention this because it has rolling, and a huge part of D&D is rolling dice. So whether you're rolling a d20 for, I don't know, I guess you do that for, is that like combat mostly? Or like rolling for a character too? With the d20, yeah, you roll a d20 for just about everything in D&D. When you're making attacks, you'll roll a d20 to see if you hit them, to see how, like depending on your damage die. I don't think any there's any way to actually have a d20 be your damage die. But definitely for hits, any skill checks, initiative, anything like that, wisdom, like saving throws and things, all of it revolves around d20. Right, so I really like that they brought D20s into Magic. We knew this was coming. Like, we had kind of been hinted at it. The community was up in flames on Twitter because, you know, Magic Twitter. Like, they they will lose their minds over literally anything. And I, I, honestly, I recommend watching the, the, the Bo Burnham special if you haven't already. There's a quote from that that really, really resonates when it comes to Magic Twitter. He, he mentioned something on the lines of, um, can any one person 
shut the F up about any one thing ever? The answer is no. Nope. <laughs> Nobody ever can, and especially not on Magic Twitter. So I love this card, and I love the aspect of dice rolling. Come on, if you want to go be competitive, go be competitive. But I suspect if you're listening to this, you're probably here for some of the fun too. And it's uh, it's it's one of those like really fun aspects that they, again, by nature of the set they were designing, had to incorporate. If this was D&D without dice, it wouldn't be D&D, so... Cool. That does it for us. That's that, Those are kind of our highlights for the set. There are obviously plenty of other flavor wins throughout the set, so if you have one that we missed that you'd like to have highlighted, jump in the Discord, let us know. Love to hear about all those sorts of things. And uh, again, the link to the Discord server is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Again, if you want to support us directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft half pod. We really, really, really appreciate it. And you can find us on Twitter, me at Randy Calfridian, Ben at Betafish1, and the podcast directly at draft half pod. Also, we haven't been plugging this nearly as much as we should, but we have a merchandise store. If you're interested in getting draft half merch, you can check that out at shop.drafthalf.com and uh, yeah, pick up some shirts or pint glasses or you know whatever fits your fancy over there. So I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit here. Again? How was your trip, dude? You just got back from Germany. Oh it must have gosh. been a fantastic time. What did you do while you were over there? <laughs> well, it was great. Yeah, we went to see my si- Well, I call her my sister, but really she she was my exchange student when I was in fifth grade. And she stayed with us for a year and then came back for another year at some point. So basically she's family. Her name's Chrissy. And she got married. So we went for her wedding. And it was fantastic. Everybody had a really good time. I've been trying to learn German for the last basically almost a full year now. And, you know, I finally got to put some of what I've been learning in action. And I don't think I embarrass myself too much, but, you know, maybe maybe Chrissy would have something else to say about that. So, yeah, overall, a great time. Good good food, good chocolates, and uh, can't wait to go back. Broken it into existence. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought that would backfire on me, didn't you? Ha, 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 ha.